What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? Have you seen these nap pods around that companies have started using in their offices? Of course. And actually, I feel like I remember from years ago, didn't you take a field trip to one of these things one time? I did. So Jason English and I heard about these at the Empire State Building. And so we went to a nap room and got a nap pass. And you kind of just lie down in the space age recliner that looks like an egg and, and rest. It does look like an egg, but for some reason, every time I see one of those, it makes me think of Pac-Man and, and just like eating these people. So there's something about it that makes me a little <laughs> hesitant to get in one of those things. Yeah, but I, I kind of love that there are these weird little pods and they're soundproof and ergonomic and they've got colors that come in to wake you up. You know, the one time I did it, not only did I feel rested, but I woke up refreshed. So I actually looked into them for our office and did you know they go for like 13 grand a pop? It's, oh, wow. <laughs> it's a little out of our price range. Yeah, a little but bit. it did get me thinking about all the ways that the workplace has changed over the years. I, I mean, there was a time not too long ago when sleeping on the job was a fireable offense. But now it's a part of employee wellness programs that everywhere from like Nike to Google to Ben and Jerry's. So with that kind of change in mind, I thought it'd be fun to take a tour through the history of office innovations from surprising programs adopted in other countries to the rise and fall of the office cubicle. Let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of that soundproof glass, look at him just polishing that thing. He's polishing this shiny new employee of the month plaque. That's our friend and producer, <laughs> Tristan McNeil. I didn't even know we had an employee of the month program. 
We we uh, we actually don't mango. He gave himself the employee of the month award. It was kind of a, a power move, you know. He's he's a little bit into these power moves, and and I think this is because he's now handed over the producing duties. And of course, Tristan's still going to be around, but these are now going to the wonderful Lowell Berlanti. So. To be fair, I think I'm at least partially to blame for this because last week I told Tristan about this big push to ban Employee of the Month programs. Apparently, some HR departments think that the selection criteria is too vague. And as a result of this, companies are left open to being accused of favoritism. So a lot of people are pushing to get rid of these things. Yeah, and I guess you can see how people might complain when they don't get it and it kind of makes sense. You know, I I like how Tristan took it into his own hands and got himself a plaque, but why why don't we stick to some of the more time-tested workplace innovations, ones that have already proven themselves to be good ideas. And one that I really like are these professional readers who work in Cuban cigar factories. Readers who work in Cuban cigar factories? Yeah, they're called lectores, and uh, their job is to sit on a raised platform inside a factory and read aloud to the people rolling the cigars. There's usually some kind of PA system, too, so it isn't just them yelling, but it's it's pretty great. And it's a practice that's been going on in Cuban factories for over 150 years now. And the lectores are, are still there just reading to people to this day. Why is this? Like, is it some kind of enrichment or education program or what? Yeah, so this is back in 1865. There was a man named uh, Nicolas uh, Azcarate, I'm sure I'm pronouncing that terribly, but uh, he was the leader of a political reform movement in Havana. And he thought lectores would help in two ways. First, it would help relieve the workers of their boredom. You know, cigar rolling all day has to be kind of a tedious activity. But more importantly, it would help educate the workers and broaden their minds about local and global issues. And the public actually loved the idea. So just one year after the lectores arrived in the factories, the Cuban newspaper um, La Aurora reported on the program. And this is what they wrote, quote, Today, even in the heart of the workshops and during the hours most suited to manual labor, imaginations are busily questioning scientific and philosophical truths. They are talking and discussing. They are reading the works of good modern authors and consulting with each other. In short, they are doing what they can to learn and to continue along the path of civilization. So it's kind of hard to say exactly what effects those readings had on the workers, but it is worth noting that when Cuba won its independence from Spain, it did so with the help of these cigar workers. And it isn't a stretch to think that many of them were inspired by the readings that they heard at work. Yeah, not only that, and this is something I I really don't think most people would know, but Cuba has one of the highest literacy rates in the world, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's something like 99.7% of the population which, you know, it makes sense for a country where factory workers listen to news and books all day long, I guess. But, you know, I'm assuming they read books out loud, too. So so what kind of stuff do these lectores read? Yeah, it, it is a mix. Uh, the lectores typically read in 30-minute shifts. So one shift might cover the major news stories of the day, and another might cover horoscopes or recipes. But you're totally right about the books. The real meat of the programming is the dramatic reading of novels, which happens, and that's when the lectores really get to show off. Like, they act out multiple parts, they use different voices, sometimes they provide sound effects, like their own (laughs) sound effects, and the workers can't get enough of it. In fact, when they really like what they're hearing, they'll start tapping on the table with the knives they use for the cigar cutting, and and it's basically their way to show their applause. I mean, I love that they applaud with knives, but it it worries me (laughs) a little bit and kind of makes me wonder what 
happens if they don't like a reading? <laughs> yeah, it could be dangerous. But uh, actually, that knife applause gets used in different ways too, right? The factories actually hold auditions for these lectores uh, where each candidate's pronunciation and their oratory flair is is scrutinized. I guess their sound effects as well. And, and then the workers put the whole thing to a knife vote. And they also get a vote on which texts are read. Can you guess what the top novel uh, among these cigar rollers is? Uh, I mean, I have no idea what Harry Potter. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad guess, but it's actually uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, okay. Uh, also Jared Kushner's favorite book. But, uh, right, right. <laughs> and some lectorias have even read the book multiple times for the same group of workers. Like, that's how popular it is. But the thing I really like is that a lectora is basically the voice of the workers in their factory. The workers choose the lectora, and they choose the words he or she will read, but they also pay the lectora's wages themselves using contributions from their salaries. So in a very real way, the lectora speaks for them. But being a lectora can extend beyond the daily reading. So uh, sometimes they wind up taking on other jobs, like uh, they announce plays at the company baseball game. They'll perform the eulogy at, at employee funerals. Oh, wow. And they even act as a middleman for the workers speaking to management on their behalf. It's really a role as like a community spokesman or like almost like a union leader uh, as well as being a reader. But I think that intimacy between that relationship is is kind of why the practice still endures today, even with like mm-hmm. TV, smartphones, even uh, podcasts. I don't know if you've heard of those. But yeah, I've heard <laughs> these are going to be big. <laughs> Someday. The lectura kind of has the workers back in a way that none of those mediums can do exactly. Well, you know, there's one thing I noticed when I was looking through the research that Gabe sent us this week, and it's that the most effective office innovations tend to be the ones that reinforce this feeling of humanity in the workplace. So when you think about these, like for a lot of us, this means, you know, certain modern office staples like coffee breaks or casual Fridays. But there are also things that like homemade lunch delivery service that they have in Mumbai, which is just, can you imagine how much fun that would be? <laughs> yeah, the Dubba Wallas. The, the mm-hmm. Dubba is actually your lunch or lunch container and, and the Wallas, the person who delivers it. I mean, it's crazy how old this system actually is. Apparently, it's been in place for something like 130 years and there's more than 200,000 people in the city that rely on it to deliver their lunch each day. But what's fascinating to me is that it's so efficient. So there were some people from Harvard that did a study on this, and it's actually estimated that for every 6 million meals they handle, only one actually misses its destination. Like, that is so efficient. Way better track record than any food delivery app that I can think of. Yeah, I I mean, my family's from Bombay, and I didn't know those numbers. Well, but what's crazier to me is that the system is about as analog as you can get. So each Dubbawala is responsible for finding his own customers, also for collecting the money from them. And sort of like the way it used to work with milkmen or paperboys, they're actually the one doing the collection. So Mm -hmm. every day, each Dubbawala bikes to his customers' homes one by one, picks up a freshly cooked meal from each one of them, and then he takes these meals to their drop-off points where they get grouped with a bunch of other meals and sent off to this nearby train station. So from there, the home-cooked meals travel to a hub where they're sorted by location and then finally sent out by bike and delivered before lunchtime. And despite all of that, they have that sort of track record. I mean, it's, I guess, a wonderful organized chaos from everything I've read about it. But, you know, apparently it takes at least three months of training just to memorize the coding system they use for the different lunchboxes. I don't know if you've seen these, but it's got like a jumble of colors and letters and numbers. But, you know, I, I can't get over 
how much stress these guys must be under. Like, not only do they have to move the lunchboxes from one train to another to get to their destinations, but if you've ever tried to just take a train without doing the lunches in India, right. <laughs> that's its own chore. So, you know, if a Dabawala gets uh, confused and, and misses his connection, that means a whole block worth of customers might miss their lunches. It's insanity. All right, so just to clarify on this, though, like this system seems to be thriving despite the fact that they're probably cheaper and easier ways to eat lunch at work. And I'm curious, why do you think this is? I mean, for some people, it's a matter of health or hygiene. Like they don't want to eat anything that might get them sick. And getting your dubba from home is a, is a good way to ensure that doesn't happen. But more broadly, I think the appeal goes back to the human component. Like this isn't food that's been prepared by a stranger. It was freshly cooked by a loved one for you, which is why I think it's such an enduring innovation. All right. Well, now that we've looked at a few workplace trends from abroad, I, I feel like we should circle back to the U.S. offices and try to get a sense for how it's evolved over the years. Sure. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about office innovations that have changed the way we work, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Is it still an innovation if it actually makes things worse? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think so. Like think huh. about think about the uh, cubicle, right? Like it's yeah. it was super innovative when it came on the scene in the 1960s, but plenty of office workers would argue that change was not for the better. I mean, I guess that's true, but it, you kind of have to look at the whole history. I do think they're a little bit misunderstood. Like cubicles for all their faults, and of course there are many, they were still a step up from the office layout of yesteryear. So just as an example of this, in the 19th century, American offices were these small, dingy places, pot-bellied stove, and a bunch of clerks just kind of piled on top of one another. And so it was this cramped, smoky, just not pleasant space, and there was zero privacy. I know. When I think about that, I almost think of, like, Scrooge's office in The Christmas Carol. It was all exactly like that. Like, <laughs> that was true to every single office. And I know you, Mango, so I know you're picturing Scrooge's office in the Muppet version of The Christmas Carol, <laughs> and you aren't far off, so... By the 20th century, office spaces had thankfully spread out a little bit, but soon they started to resemble factory floors. You know, think of these bulky, flat desks set up side by side. And so not only did this arrangement maximize space, but it also made it easy for supervisors to keep an eye on all of their employees. So even though offices were bigger than they used to be, personal privacy in this workplace sort of setting, it was was really non-existent. It would, you know, it's kind of stay this way until the cubicle came along in the late 1960s. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, we're so used to thinking of uh, cubicles in negative terms, like they're bland or homogenous, isolating, but that's probably because we pictured the alternative as every employee having their own office with the door. But cubicles start to look a lot more liberating when you remember that the status quo of the era was almost like a bullpen with everyone just working elbow to elbow. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's strange to think about, but cubicles really were intended to bring a bit more humanity and individuality to the workplace or At least that was the goal of Robert Probst, who was the inventor of the cubicle. And Hmm. Probst was the head of research at Herman Miller's furniture company. This was in the 1950s and the 1960s. And it was during the course of his work that he got depressed about the state of the modern office. So he wrote about this. This was actually from 1960. And he said, today's office is a wasteland. It saps (laughs) vitality, blocks talent, frustrates accomplishment, It is the daily scene of unfulfilled intentions and failed efforts. Such a wonderful idea. I know he had some strong feelings there. (laughs) He really did. And so it inspired him to get, you know, to work designing the ideal workspace. So he really did have very good intentions here. And using research he collected from design experts, Probst decided on this new flexible kind of customizable approach, which he dubbed the action office. So it consisted of a desk, a space for making phone calls, a vertical filing system, and these three hinged partitions that could be rearranged as needed to accommodate solo work or in some cases, collaborative work. And and to be clear, though, the action office was not a cubicle. Like the idea was to provide a mix of walls and desks of various heights so that each worker set up their space to match their own needs. And, you know, it was kind of a smart idea compared to what was out there. And Probst included these acoustical panels to help block out some of the sound of typing and other people's phone calls. And so he even included this adjustable desk so that people could stand while they worked, which, you know, he thought it would actually help improve employee blood flow in the process. That's kind of amazing that he was that ahead of his time with the standing desks and and the the panels. And yeah. and I also love the branding, the action office. Like <laughs> The main problem was that nobody bought the action office. Designers praised it as ingenious, but for companies and the executives, the system was just like too high concept to buy into. Uh 
And so Probst and his team went back to the drawing board and a year later they came out with the Action Office 2. So, you know, totally <laughs> different thing here. And it was cheaper and simpler and unlike its more open-minded predecessor, this new design had a very stock model with a fixed desk and, you know, those humanizing frills like shelves and better sight lines that had previously been available as options. But, you know, most companies didn't spend on them. And as a result, Prope's vision of this sprawling productive workspace gave way to his fenced-in office space that we really think of now when we think of cubicles. When you talk about it that way, it's almost like kind of what happened with the mall inventor, right? Like who wanted to create those town squares and then it ended up being just this commercial, like like pure commerce place. Yeah, I know we talked about that not too long ago. And it's basically the same story with Probe. So other furniture companies started making their own no-frills cubicles and offices became these more crowded and impersonal spaces more than they had even before. And just like Gruen with his shopping malls, Probst had to stand by and watch as his invention became this new model for that very corporate sameness that he'd been trying to get rid of. And in fact, I pulled this quote from him that shows how disappointed he was <laughs> in the whole thing. He says, not all organizations are intelligent and progressive. Lots are run by crass people. They make little bitty cubicles and stuff people in them. Barren, rat hole places, monolithic <laughs> insanity. I just want to read this guy's quotes just over and I've got 45 more of these. Rat hole places. He is not mincing words. <laughs> very, very descriptive. So, so Probes passed away in the year 2000 and it makes you wonder what he would think of the return to the open office layout that we've really seen come about in the last 20 years or so. I mean, don't get me wrong, about 30% of American employees still work in cubicles and the industry makes a couple billion dollars in sales every year. But open floor plans have become the new normal again. And that's thanks largely to the tech industry and the cubicle, you know, could be on its way out at last. It is strange to see that pendulum, right? It just swings from yeah. one side to the other and back. But it's also weird that we can't find our way to the middle. Like there's so many studies that show that open offices actually decrease productivity. One study from the Cohen Brown Management Group found that office workers lose between three to five hours of productive time every day in an open office. Mm. And that's because they're constantly being interrupted in some way by the people around them. And the worst part is that those interruptions aren't even worth the bother in most cases. Like, according to a professor of management at NYU, and her name is Anlar Fayard, this is her quote, many studies show that people have shorter and more superficial conversations in open because they're self-conscious about being overheard. You know, it's interesting because I've always heard that the biggest benefit to an open office is that the employees, you know, they interact, they collaborate mm -hmm. so much more than in a partitioned office, I guess. But but I think that benefit may get canceled out if the interactions are mostly hollow, right? Yeah, I think the real thing open office plans have going for them is that they're way cheaper than going the cubicle route. You can get by with three times less office space if you just use an open floor plan and you don't have to worry about fitting in a bunch of big boxy cubes. All right, so open offices are less expensive and they can make it seem like your company is really shaking things up, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, on their own, they aren't enough to make workers any more creative or more productive. So... So what kind of innovation would actually do that? I mean, there's got to be something, right? Yeah, I've got a few fun options that we can run through, but uh, let's take another quick break first. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. 
I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back to Part-Time Genius. All right, Mango, you promised us you were going to give us some picks for the best ways to boost productivity at work. And you can't say nap pods again. You got to come up with something else. (laughs) Well, I've got something much better in mind, and it is cheaper because according to recent studies, one way to improve your job performance is just by making your coworkers laugh. That actually makes me think of like bosses starting to do impressions like they're Michael Scott in the office or something like that. But <laughs> so now I'm curious, like whose performance does it actually help? The joke teller or the person laughing? So that's the really great part about this. It affects both parties. And for the person making the jokes, the benefit is a boost in social status. In 2016, researchers at the Harvard Business School concluded that when an employee makes their coworkers laugh, that person is, quote, perceived as more competent, more confident, and higher in status. That's just some uh, revolutionary research (laughs) there. And so what about for the people laughing? They actually get something good out of it as well. They get stress relief, entertainment, and a stronger sense of engagement and collaboration. I mean, this is all studies backed. And then there are the physical changes. Like, for example, laughing increases your intake of oxygen, and that in turn ups the amount of endorphins that your brain releases. Plus, laughter can stimulate circulation and relax your muscles. So it's great for relieving physical stress. All right, so just to play devil's advocate on this for, for, for a second, have there been any studies on whether laughing actually improves productivity? Because stress relief, endorphins, connecting with your coworkers, I mean, it makes sense that it would make 
net positive results, I guess. But I'm just wondering if researchers have actually been able to prove this. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think it's a little tricky just because every company is going to have its own different measures of productivity. So it's not like you'll be able to prove the effects of laughter across the board or anything. But, uh, you know, I, I did read about one study that came out of the University of Bristol a few years back where the researchers tried to determine if there really was a link between happiness and productivity. And what they did was they gathered a bunch of volunteers and split them into two groups. And the first group watched a funny video clip that was meant to make them laugh. And the second group didn't watch anything. And then the members in both groups were given a set of addition problems and charged with solving as many as they could within, I don't know, like 10 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. So in this case, productivity was measured by the number of problems solved correctly. And as you're probably guessing, you know, the result was that employees who laughed at the clip were a full 10% more productive than the employees (laughs) who hadn't watched the clip. So it's not definitive, but there's still a good reason to think that laughter in the workplace is kind of a win for everyone. I mean, it does make sense when you think about it in terms of headspace and how laughter can, you know, of course, improve your mood. Yeah, because it's actually the same thing that happens with music. Like, I, I'm thinking about all those studies you see about how listening to music when you work can actually put you in a better mood. You know, I was actually looking at that this week because I wasn't sure how much truth there was to that claim. And, and, mm-hmm. and personally... I'm some sometimes in one camp and sometimes in the other where I feel like music is like great in the background and I'm really humming along. And then sometimes I feel like it's so distracting. But and I mean, I've read some of those studies that you mentioned as well, though. What was the verdict? Well, it turns out it kind of depends on what you're listening to. So if you're listening to music that you enjoy at work, then you're likely to experience a mood boost of about 90 percent of the time, or at least that's according to one expert that there was this music therapy professor in Miami named Teresa Lesiuk. And the the reason for that boost is that when you listen to music you like, it activates the pleasure center in your brain, which of course feels good. So by the same token, if you're listening to music you can't stand, then you probably won't get the same results. Which makes sense. But now it feels like we're running into the same question you had with the laughter case. Like, does being in a good mood really make you a more productive worker, or is that just something we kind of take as a given? Well, like you said, I mean, there probably isn't one single study that could prove all of this, but according to Lesiuk, there is evidence that people are more productive when they're in a positive mood. And as she put it, when you're in that mood state, you're better at problem solving and thinking creatively. You take in more options and don't narrow your focus. And that kind of tracks because, you know, your pleasure center isn't the only part of the brain that lights up when you listen to good music or when you laugh. The other area that gets stimulated is the specific neural pathway that runs through the limbic system all the way up to the orbital frontal cortex. And as I'm sure we all remember, I only remember because I'm looking at my notes here, to be honest (laughs) with you, that that's the part of the brain that deals with decision making. So Essentially, when that part of the brain is stimulated, the result is this spike in creativity and in problem solving. And here's how you can tell that there's truth to this. So several companies are trying to cash in on these neurological benefits by creating music that's specifically designed to improve your mood and productivity at work. And it's called Streamlined Music. It's pays special attention to the key and tempo of songs in order to maximize the effect they have on an employee's limbic system. So the jury's still out on how well the system works, but the takeaway so far is that it really can improve the, quote, perceived focus, task persistence, precognition, and creative thinking of listeners. 
So if nothing else, at least we've got a good excuse to listen to music in the office now. Yeah, I think it'll go over well if you just tell your boss you're headbanging and working on your Excel sheets, that you're just stimulating your limbic system, I guess. And I'm sure they won't <laughs> have any follow-up questions to that. So speaking of making things awkward at work, there's one more unusual innovation we should mention for office workers, and that's aromatherapy. I mean, it's funny because I've seen these office diffusers online, like you just squirt a couple drops of your favorite essential oil into this scent pad thing and then plug it into your USB port. It, it, it's pretty weird, to be honest with you. I know. And initially, it sounded like less a way to improve the workplace and more like a good way to alienate your coworkers. I remember when the internet was just starting and, and, and people were talking about what the future of the internet would be. And people were saying that, you know, having scents through your computer to like enhance the aroma of, of a food article or whatever would be exciting. And then the response to it immediately was that trolls would hack your system and send out fart bombs. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so that sort of smell vision of the internet hasn't come about, but this is a much safer way to make sure you're surrounded by good smells and, and being more meditative about your work, I guess. Well, speaking of focus, how about we keep our eye on the prize, not, not Tristan's Employee of the Month prize, but mm -hmm. the fact off prize. Sounds good. All right, I'm going to start with my favorite office perk of all time. It's this 65-foot-tall indoor Ferris wheel. It's permanently housed in the headquarters of Acuity Insurance in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. <laughs> and these lucky employees there get to ride it basically whenever they want. And if this all sounds a little bit decadent, keep in mind that the ride's primary purpose is to serve as a fun centerpiece for fundraising events for local charities. Oh. So in fact, it's even nicknamed the charity wheel for that very reason. And that's really sweet, but it also seems like a good way to sell insurance. Like maybe you need some insurance before you hop on this giant old Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Acuity has these other unusual perks going forward as well, including a 45-foot-tall climbing wall, a 400-foot-tall flagpole, and a dress code that's described as jeans-friendly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last one's a real selling point. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for me, probably the coolest perk I came across is the maternity leave program for employees at a company called Vodafone. They're a UK-based telecommunications provider, and a few years ago, they noticed a troubling pattern in their workforce. It seemed that a high number of female employees were leaving the company soon after returning from maternity leave, and in nearly two-thirds of these cases, the women did so within a year of having their baby. So obviously not an ideal retention rate. Vodafone decided to change their policy in an attempt to combat the problem. And the result is one of the most compassionate maternity leave programs in the world. So women who work at Vodafone are now entitled to at least 16 weeks of fully paid maternity leave. And it's followed by 30-hour work weeks paid at full salary for six months after they return to work. Actually, speaking of pregnancy, and I know it, there's going to be an age gap into who knows this fact and who thinks this is really weird, but actually getting pregnant used to be a fireable offense in the U.S., which is just sort of mind-boggling. It sounds made up, but until the late 1970s, employers were permitted to fire women just because they were expecting and the practice was considered like a cost-cutting measure aimed at saving a company money on, you know, maternity leave, health benefits, and it was pretty popular too. So according to the Department of Labor, during the mid-1960s, only 44% of first-time mothers worked while pregnant compared to a close to 70% today. And the crucial factor behind that uptick was the Pregnancy Discrimination Act, which finally put an end to this firing practice, and that happened in 19. 78, the year before the two of us were born. Thank yeah. goodness. Yeah, and obviously there's so much work to be done on that front to make it a truly level playing field. 
You know, this next one is something surprising that I kind of wish I hadn't learned this week. So you know all those long-running rumors that you hear around the office? Like the one about Tristan winning the pickle eating contest at last year's Atlanta County Fair? Was that the, <laughs> that one? <laughs> that rumor. Well, I, I don't know if that one's true, but, but if you do hear an office rumor, there's a good chance it is true. Or at least that's what researchers found at the Rochester Institute of Technology and the University of South Australia. According to them, a workplace grapevine is like one big truth detector. Baseless gossip gets dropped fast because one person or another can usually debunk it, but if there's truth to a rumor, it tends to persist. And all the embellishments and guesswork around it are gradually shaved away. So this is what uh, one of the authors behind this study uh, said about it. Quote, In a workplace setting, what we call a stable organizational grapevine, people are very good at figuring out the truth. If you tell me something and I work closely with you, I know whether you're a credible source. But even if I'm not so sure, in workplace settings, it's easy to cross-check information. So in a weird way, the longer that a rumor is circulated among employees, like the pickle one about Tristan, the more accurate it is. You know, it's weird because it, it kind of feels like a reverse game of telephone, like the message actually gets clearer from person to person, which is not, not what you would yeah, think yeah. would happen. But All right, well, here's a quick one. The largest office building in the world is actually the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. So even though it's only seven stories tall, the building's unique shape makes it super long, like giving it, I think it has a whopping 3.7 million square feet of floor space. So that's three times the square footage of the Empire State Building and room enough for more than 23,000 employees. That's crazy. So here's one I like. Uh, There's one Starbucks in the world that will never spell your name wrong on the order, the CIA Starbucks, also (laughs) known as store number one. And it's apparently the only store of the more than 20,000 Starbucks that will never ask for your name. And Uh, that's because, thanks to CIA rules, it is not allowed. Oh, wow. So how do the baristas know what you ordered? I mean, they're just that good. Like, they have to go through intense training and background checks. And then when they finally get the job, they just quickly learn to pair drink orders with faces. I love that. And it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it does. But it also seems like the CIA is smart enough that people could make up fake names, right? <laughs> like, my, my father-in-law just decided that at his local Starbucks, he'd only be known as Juan. So, like, <laughs> when he walks in, everyone greets him as Juan like he's walking into cheers. <laughs> but (laughs) I guess not having to say your name is easier. That's pretty great. Uh, All right. Well, I think because of that, both the great fact and the the story about your father-in-law, you've earned the trophy for today. So congratulations, Mango. (laughs) Thank you so much. And and that is all for today's Part-Time Genius. But from Gabe, Lowell, Will, and me, thanks as always for listening. And I think we'll be back soon with another episode. Part-Time Genius is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.